children happy at church, isn't it? I have a few announcements this morning. First of all, you don't want to forget Friday night at the movies, which will be this Friday. A very good movie has Gary Cooper in it. Uh, uh, something about paradise. <laughs> but it's in your bulletin. Um, it's, it's, it's got some funny parts. It's really good. Also, we want to keep uh, Sherry Pennison in our prayers. She's going to undergo surgery uh, this Tuesday, so you remember that. And let's see, John's already taking care of the kids uh, playing outside around the tree and so forth. Uh, you might notice we have uh, something a little different here this morning. When you pulled into the parking lot, and I'll have a new floor pan of uh, Country Bible Church. I hope that you can see that. Um, this is the scale. This is the front porch here where we come in the auditorium. Uh, wing dining in here. I didn't think about this, but it sounds like we have, what, chicken wings in there? <laughs> I think I should have put maybe dining wing. <laughs> we might change that. Uh, Here's the current junior class uh, room. You'll notice that it's 20 by 24. The hallway, the library, the restroom, storage, and so forth. This is the nursery right now, and that nursery will probably turn into a media room where we can do the tapes and uh, CDs and so forth. This is a, a bathroom closet. My office here now. This is where the new building is going to sit back here. And we're going to have an eight-foot-wide hallway that will be enclosed. This will be inside, uh, heated and cool. These are the doors going into the uh, new junior class. Notice it's 24 by 24 now. And there's a door separating the what we're going to have, the nursery. Uh, there's a storage room and a bathroom in here and a kitchen area. And we acquired some... Uh, folding doors or collapsible walls, whatever you want to call them, they're wooden, from Baraka Church about a week ago. And we're thinking about having this to where you can enclose this. You can open it or pull it shut. And the nursery for infants will be here and the toddlers, uh, three, four, and five, and so forth, will be here separated by this door. You come out, so you can, you can enter this way, go through here, go in here, or... Uh, there will be a door here, and there's going to be a deck right straight out behind the church. Pretty wide deck here, probably about 10 or 12 feet. And when you come out of here, you can go on a deck and come into that back door back there that nobody ever uses. Uh, it's won't even hardly open right now. So that will be uh, able to be used. Then we're going to have some stairs going down to a sidewalk, nice wide sidewalk that you can go this way. Parking, parking lot area will be out here. Some, some of it will be over here. So you could bring your children in this way, leave them here. You could go through here or you could come back through this back door. And <clears throat> so this will relieve some of the congestion that we have right here at the double doors right now. So we'll have two other areas. We'll have the, the area, this is the portico over here where people can come in here. They can go back here access it here. We're thinking that uh, we might have this deck covered so that even if it's raining, uh, you'll be able to be out of the weather. So that's what the uh, building out there, where the plans are for. We had to cut down the tree. There's a few other miscellaneous things we have to do. And then we'll, uh, they're going to move it over in place. Uh, these things should happen fairly rapidly. We're hoping uh, possibly by uh, next Sunday. It's uh, in the realm of possibility that the building will be sitting in place if all goes well. So I don't hold my feet to fire on that, but um, that is a, a, a potential. Then instead of having to start from scratch building another building like we've done everything so far, uh, we'll be able to just do this hallway and the deck portion and so forth. So we should be in business before too long. Okay. This would probably be a good time to rebound, huh? Okay. <coughs> All 
All right, let's prepare ourselves for the study of God's Word this morning. You all know our standard operating procedure. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, the opportunity to name privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins, which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, for the opportunity to be here and feed upon your word. It is indeed alive and powerful, reaches in where nothing else can, and changes us to think the mind of Christ. So we pray that you will help us to focus and concentrate this morning, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We're starting... uh, uh, Joshua chapter 2, uh, we're actually continuing it. We got a little bit of a start last Sunday, but we're going to go into more depth. The book of Joshua, remember, is written in logical order, but not chronological order. Many things are revealed in chapter 2 that took place uh, prior to what happened in chapter 1. <clears throat> the entire second chapter takes up about four days and describes the things uh, about spies and uh, Rahab and so forth. So I'm going to give you a shot on the board here of how the chronological verses fall into place. First of all, you have Joshua Chapter 1, verse 1 through 9, this is God commissioning Joshua. He's telling him to be courageous. Do not be dismayed. Do not fear or be dismayed. And have courage. He gives him some wonderful promises that are necessary. Tells him what he needs to do. And then after verse 9, now you might mark these in your Bible. If you don't mark them, you're not going to remember it. After verse 9, Chronologically, you go to Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, all the way to Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. That's what happens next. The spies gather intelligence and return to Joshua. Then, chronologically speaking, you drop back to Joshua chapter 1, verse 10 through 18. And then, that, that's, by the way, uh, Joshua and the people getting ready, and he reminds the east side tribes of their promises to Moses. Remember, these are the uh, two and a half tribes that were going to be on the east side of the river, and he reminds them, now you promised Moses, I'm going to hold, it, hold you to it, that when the armies of Israel go across into Canaan, that you're going to go along also, even though your land isn't over there, you are to go ahead and... and uh, in fact, they were the shock troops. They were the first ones across. And then chronologically, you go to Joshua chapter 3, verse 2 through 4. Now, if you want to look at it chronologically, that's the way to look at it. The writers were more concerned about the logical aspects of it many times than the chronological. And often in the Hebrew, you'll have have scripture written and it will cover a certain subject matter and then they will cover it again and they will give highlights and facts that were not given in the first first uh, part where it was stated that's what happens in uh, Genesis in uh, chapter uh, 1 some in chapter and, and then in chapter 2 and 3 you have especially chapter 2 you have in chapter 1 a brief outline of what is when God created the earth. And then when you start in chapter 2, you have it reiterated, only that you have more information there, information you didn't get on the first shot. So that's pretty well uh, typical of Hebrew, especially Hebrew poetry. Okay, it looks like everybody's got that down. 
So that's the way it takes place chronologically. Now, we've already gone through the first, the first chapter where we have instructions for a leader. Anybody that wants to know how to be a good leader? Well, you can take notes from Joshua. The first thing they were to do was to be apprised of what the Word of God has to say. At this point, <coughs> excuse me, they only had five books of the Bible, the Torah, but God told Joshua that he is to meditate on that day and night, not to veer from the left or from the right. You are to have that as right, front, and center continually. And so that's the first aspect that we see of a leader is to know God's will for your life to know what to do and the only way you can get that is through his word and that that's not only true for a good leader that's good for a, a Christian too isn't it first thing you have to know something you have to know his word then second of all you have to believe it Joshua was looking at something that seemed to be impossible the Lord commanded him to cross the Jordan and it just was a daunting task. Physically, it was impossible. They had no boats. They didn't have a bridge. They didn't have engineers. They didn't have rafts. They didn't have anything. And it was at the flood season, and the Jordan could have been as, as wide as a mile. And to get an army and thousands and thousands of people across, would, it simply would be impossible. But the Lord told him to do it, and he, he had the instructions and so you have to believe it. Now, the next thing you have to do, you get the knowledge, then it's an issue of whether you're going to believe it or not. And even after you believe it, you still have to act upon it. It requires you to do something. And this is what Joshua uh, was faced with. And we're going to see that one of the, one, when we go into chapter 2, the verse first verse we see Joshua sending out spies and that that is somewhat of a dilemma for some people because they think why did he have to send out spies God told him to take the I mean to take the land and to cross the river he, he didn't have to send out spies God would take care of everything that's the way a lot of people think but they don't what they don't realize is that uh, faith does not preclude action God expects us to do, to use the faculties that he's given us. We have a mind, we have a brain, we can think. And so the smart thing to do, the prudent thing to do, would be to send out spies, know your enemy. Where are their weaknesses? Where are their strengths? How can we plan this, the, the strategy? Furthermore, he had a good example because Moses was commanded to send spies into the land. In fact, he was commanded to send 12 spies into the land, one from each tribe. And Joshua learned something from that because they didn't keep that secret. Everyone knew that the spies were going, and when they came back, all the spies except two, Joshua and Caleb, were in a, in a dither. They said the land is everything that God promised, but there are giants in the land. We are as grasshoppers in their sight woe is is me that's what they were thinking and they had a big crybaby party everybody what was that all about by the way it was that they were not trusting the lord the lord said this is your land this is your inheritance i'm going to give it to you all you have to do is cross the river, go in there, and I will deliver them into your hands. And they didn't believe it. So they had a meltdown. And God said, okay, you don't want to trust me? Fine. Just go out and you can wander around in the wilderness for about 40 years. And all those who did not believe the promise of God, those who were... Uh, 20 and older perished during that time. So now when we see Joshua chapter 2, we're looking at a whole new group. And they did a better job of submitting to God's authority and Joshua's authority. 
they weren't 100%, but they did a better job than their predecessors. And I think last Sunday I covered some of the principles with regards to authority and how important it is to submit to authority. No one can learn apart from accepting someone's authority. And God has delegated authority so that there will always be someone that they can learn from. So in Joshua chapter 2 verse 1, we have then Joshua the son of Nun sent out two spies. So I've given you a few reasons why the spies were sent out, but I'm going to give you a couple of more. First of all, they wanted to get the intelligence that they would need, the military intelligence, and they did get that. He needed to know where the, where the uh, strength was, how many gates were there, where were they located, how many soldiers did they have, and what was the morale of the people, that type of thing. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 18, Prepare plans by consultation and make war by guidance. Joshua was, was fulfilling that principle. Now, when the spies came back, they gave Joshua information that not only was useful in a military sense, but they would embolden him to continue on track that he was indeed in God's will and going forward because what they're going to find is that there were prophecies that God made that were already fulfilled in Canaan. Turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15, verses 15 and 16. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab trembling grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them by the greatness of thine arm. They are motionless as stone until thy people pass over O Lord, until the people pass over whom thou hast purchased. Now, in Edom, as well as Moab, before the Israelites even got to Shittim, before they were going to move out towards uh, the Jordan River, they had already conquered two kings. I mean, these kings were decimated. And the people in Canaan, on the other side of the river, heard about it, and it says that their hearts just melted away. They were in a panic because as we will see, uh, we're going to read at least uh, part of chapter 2, the account of Rahab and the spies. They knew about what happened in Egypt and about the Red Sea and how Egypt was absolutely decimated and uh, the king of uh, Og was uh, and his entire kingdom was decimated. In Exodus chapter 23, we have another account here. Exodus 23, verse 27 through 28. Exodus 23 and... Verse 27. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people among whom you come and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. That turn their backs to you means that they were in retreat. They would be running from them. And I will send harnets ahead of you that they may drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites before you. Now, the Hebrew word here for harnets is, they, they didn't do a very good job of translating that. It means, go ahead and underline harnets. He did not send literal harnets ahead of him. He didn't have to. The Hebrew word there for harnets means discouragement, panic, 
psychological disaster. And so the spies are going to come back and report, this has already taken place. Well, how do they know, how, how do they know that that took place? Well, let's go to Joshua chapter 2 and check it out. Joshua chapter 2. We've got a couple more reasons we're going to explain why the spies were sent, but we need to substantiate this information about the people in Canaan being in a psychological meltdown. Joshua 2.1 Then Joshua the son of Nun sent two spies secretly from Shittim saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. The king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two spies and hidden them, and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. She's lying here, by the way. That's something else that we're going to have to deal with about this lying business. Verse 5. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at, at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. More lies. Verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof and had hidden them and the stalks of flax which she had laid in order on the roof. Verse 7, So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan to the fords, and soon as, and as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen upon us. See that right there? That is prophecy fulfilled. And that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And, when you, and what you did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. They heard about that also. That had already taken place. Verse 11. And, we heard, and when we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth below. And now from verse 12 on, she, she has them uh, make an oath to her that when they come and destroy the land, that they will spare her and her family. There is so much information in that right there, but I wanted to at least demonstrate to you that another reason that the spies went into the land was to substantiate to Joshua that the prophecy that God had made had already come to pass. It was the right place at the right time. That's the second reason that he sent out spies. The third reason is because Rahab was a believer. Rahab was a believer before the spies got there. That's very important. The spies didn't go there and give her the gospel. If anything, Rahab is nearly giving them the gospel. And we're going to pick up on that. Very interesting how that took place because Rahab didn't have any scriptures. She didn't have any Bible. She didn't have any believers to give her the gospel. And yet she was a believer. Now, how did that come about? We'll get to that in a minute. First of all, the point here is that God takes care of his children, and Rahab was a child of God, so he is going to uh, deliver her. And she's, by the way, we're going to find that she is the only believer in the entire city of Jericho. And I don't know how many thousands were there, but she was the only believer. 
She's, she was a woman, woman with no husband to protect her, no believing friends or church to help her. But God delivered her from the wrath to come, and he used the spies to do it. Do you think it was just an accident or coincidence that when these spies go into this city, all these thousands of people, that they wind up at Rahab's house? And there's so much we have to deal with. I mean, some of you think, yeah, well, we know why she, they wound up there. It was a house of prostitution. That's why. Well, that doesn't have anything to do with it. Here's what the reason. She was a believer. She had believed in God. God was going to destroy Jericho, and God delivers his before the wrath comes. And this is what we see. We saw it in Noah and his family. Noah was removed from the earth before the flood came. We see it when he delivered Lot and his daughters before he destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see that he uh, delivered the Israelites when they were in bondage in Egypt. Now we see him delivering one woman, a prostitute who happened to be a believer. He does whatever it takes to remove his before the wrath comes. And he will also deliver us from the wrath that will come during the tribulation. This is the pattern. This is what God does. Now, uh, God knows his children, and no matter how chaotic the situation may be, when God comes to destroy and judge, he'll always take his children out of it. Now, here's the thing. He came to Jericho, the spies did, to warn that Jesus Christ was going to deal with that city. And he came to Rahab as a savior. He came to Jericho as what? Their judge. And we have the, the New Testament backing this up. Actually, it says that every knee shall bow before Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ comes to every person either as their savior or as their judge. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23, is when this was originally stated, that every knee shall bow. Romans chapter 14, 11, and Philippians 2, 10, we have that restated. So you will either bow to Him as Savior or bow to Him as judge, but every person will bow. The fourth reason why the spies were sent into the land is somewhat of a conjecture. Uh, I can't say uh, dogmatically this is the case, but there's extra-biblical proof that this is, um, is what happened. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. In Matthew, we, the book of Matthew starts out and is giving the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. And to Salmon, that's not Solomon, it's Salmon, S-A-L-M-O-N, was born Boaz by Rahab. See that? And this extra-biblical tradition says that Salmon was one of the two spies that went and met Rahab at her house, and she later became his wife. And it was through that great marriage that Rahab became the great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus Christ. Now, while we're here, I want to point out some other interesting things about this genealogy. Most people, when they read the Bible, when they get to genealogy, how fast do they read? Hmm? 
Uh, big ab, big ab, big ab, okay, let's get on to the good part. That's pretty much the way it goes. But if you slow down, you're going to find some interesting things. Rahab was an absolutely phenomenal woman. So much so that she is spoken in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, normally, you don't even have women in genealogies. Usually, it's the man that is traced. But there's four times that women are mentioned in this genealogy. And Rahab is one of the four. Now, while, while I'm here, this will be a good time to deal with the issue that she was a prostitute. Uh, some people think, well, the fact that she was a prostitute, probably she wasn't really a prostitute, just probably had a bad reputation or something. No, she was a prostitute. Even her name uh, has to do with that uh, occupation. According to Isaiah chapter 57, verse 1 through 8, you don't have to go there, but I'm just explaining something to you. In verse 8 there, it says that referring to the prostitute enlarged her bed. The New American Standard Version says, uh, loved thy bed. It has the idea of enlarged, and uh, that's where uh, that word for what we have in English is Rahab. She was definitely a prostitute. And some people get their nose all bent out of joint because you have uh, a woman mentioned in the line of Christ that was a prostitute. Well, I'm going to give you another shock. Out of these four women, it appears that, first of all, they were all Gentile. How about that? And every one of them had a stigma, something that wasn't exactly kosher uh, that in their past. Let's look at them. Look at verse 3. And to Judah were born Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now, Tamar, there was a woman named Tamar that was uh, David's sister. This is another Tamar. And she, I guess you could say she was a conniver. Her husband died and her father-in-law would pledged that he would give her another uh, one of his, another one of his sons to marry her so that her line would the line would go on well then he died and there was a succession of sons that Tamar's father-in-law gave to her to wed and every one of them died and they didn't she wasn't putting arsenic in anything uh, they weren't behaving and God took their life so finally the father-in-law said, that's it. I'm not giving you any more of my sons. And so, <laughs> well, uh, and so she says, okay, I'll just seduce my father-in-law, which she did. And she had a son by her father-in-law, or these sons, illegitimately. And yet, look at that. There she is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 5. And to Salmon, which appears to be very possible, that Jewish tradition says that this was one of the two spies, was born Boaz by Rahab. Okay, we know that Rahab was a prostitute. We have no equivocation about that. She was. And then to Boaz was born Obed by Ruth. Now, Ruth was not a Jew. In fact, she was a uh, <coughs> she was a Moabitess. She was from Moab, and if anyone was hated by the Jews, it was the Moabites. So she had a stigma. You know, Bo Boaz was a hero of the Book of Ruth. And he turns aside and marries a girl that's um, Moabitess, and that did not please the people too much. And then if you uh, drop down, <coughs> well, let's just read uh, the, the end of 5 here. He says, And to Salmon was born Boaz by Rahab, and to Boaz was born Obed by Ruth, and to Obed, Jesse. Who is Jesse? 
the father of David. So let's look at David. And to Jesse was born David the king, and to David was born Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. What is that about? Well, David committed adultery. He forced himself upon Bathsheba and then had her husband killed. This is all in the line of Christ. Four women doesn't appear... I, I know the first three uh, were, not, uh, were not Jews. And it appears that Bathsheba was not either. According to 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 5, she's called by a name of a pagan god or goddess. And I don't think any Hebrew would name their daughter after a pagan god. So here's my point. Why did God do this? He didn't have to put any of these women in here at all. And these women, all of them had a stigma attached to them. So we don't want to get uppity and snobby and think, well, she was a, a, a prostitute, so she doesn't deserve to be in the genealogy. She's not only in the genealogy, she's in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the hero's chapter. And I'm going to show you, it appears that she's the only woman there. And it calls her a prostitute. Now, what is this telling us? Why did God the Holy Spirit go the trouble to name these four women when he didn't have to name any of them at all? They weren't Jews, and they all had a stigma attached to them. And you can answer it in one word, grace. That's why. I bet we could all get together and have a little set to with our genealogies and find we all have skeletons in our closets. Oh, I know I do. I could tell you stories. <laughs> but we won't do that right now. The whole point, it doesn't matter what your race is, what your genes are, who is in your family. It all depends on whether you're going to accept the truth that the Bible presents to you. That is what matters. Okay? Now we're going to go on to the, well, that was the fourth reason, wasn't it? Yeah, here, we'll, we'll review them real quick. First of all, the spies were sent, and it was a prudent thing to do, to know your enemy, get, to know, uh, get the information that you need. The second one was they came back with information that showed that God had answered his prophecy. The prophecies had come to pass, and now it was time to move out. Then God takes care of his children. Rahab was a child of God, and he's going to deliver from the wrath to come. And then the fourth one is, you know, we're not sure, but it appears that Solomon was one of the spies that went in uh, to deliver her. You see, they, they could. let's talk about this for a moment, too. Uh, they go into... Uh, Whorehouse. Now, why would they do that? And everybody said, well, duh. No, you just think a minute. We've got to think about this. First of all, they weren't, they weren't thinking about any hanky-panky. They were on a mission. Their lives were at stake. And what they wanted to do was just blend into the crowd. And so a house of ill repute would be the perfect place. I mean, it wasn't like going into the Hilton and signing your name there. Um, traditionally, so I'm told that, <laughs> make sure you understand that, so I'm told that when guys go into a house of ill repute, uh, they don't want to be noticed. There's not a lot of gabbing going on. They're kind of going in like this, and they're coming out like that. And so, also, it is a place where a lot of information is passed. We're going to see how important that was to uh, Rahab. She found the truth right there in the whorehouse. And then the issue was, was she's going to believe it or not? We'll get to that in a minute. But I'm telling you why they went there was because they did not want to be caught. This was a place where they could mash in, nobody would ask questions, and they could get information. But it didn't work. 
boy, this king had his intelligence. Uh, the, the secret police was everywhere, and they, as soon as they got there, they told the king they knew about it, and they sent the king's uh, messengers, the, his uh, soldiers, to, to apprehend these spies. So there wasn't any hanky-panky going on there. And if you get to uh, verse in, well, I'm in Matthew. I've got to go back to Joshua here. Are you all in Joshua? In Joshua, Joshua chapter 2, verse 8, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. Well, some people go bonkers over this. <laughs> they lay down. <laughs> you know, they just think, well, they're out of line. You know, they were getting their money's worth, so to speak. But that's not what that means at all. It means that they were so relaxed. Why? Do you really think that these guys would have sex on their mind? Their lives are at stake. The king's men are out there trying to come in to apprehend them. And what do you think would happen to them if they were apprehended? They would be killed, but it would not be slowly. So they, they were, the reason that this is important when they lay, before they lay down, they were so relaxed that they were about to go to sleep. Can you imagine that? That's what this word means. So, no hanky-panky. I've dealt a little bit now with... Uh, uh, Rahab's occupation, those type of things. Uh, as we continue with verse 2, we've already gone over the city of Shittim. We've already gone over uh, Jericho. And we look at, then, then we are introduced to Rahab. It's always so many times, Rahab the harlot wants to make sure that People know that what she was. Now, I, let's get back to this part that she was a believer before the spies got there. Very muy importante. How did that happen? How do you become a believer when there are no scriptures, there's no believers to tell you the truth? How in the world can you accept the gospel under those conditions? Are you ready? First of all, she did it by a matter of deductions. She put two and two together. She was completely surrounded by unbelievers who worshipped false gods. She had no one to give her the gospel, but she was a smart woman, and she started making some deductions. First of all, we know that she was positive at God consciousness. And if you're in Joshua chapter 2, look at verse 11. Joshua 2, verse 11. She's talking about when they heard of all the things that, that God had done. Our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. What is that? That's positive volition at God consciousness. Romans chapter 1. Every person that reaches an age where they are a rational person, not babies and not uh, morons and those that are mentally incapable, but every normal person knows that man did not make the mountains, he didn't make the sun, he didn't make the stars, he didn't make the oceans. Someone much greater than man had to do that. Rahab knew it. And she started putting, she wanted to know who this was. The second thing that she had to do, not only was she positive, uh, she had to connect something. When she heard, when she heard that uh, the stories about what happened in Egypt, the Red Sea, in uh, east of the Jordan, the king of uh, Og and Sihon, how they were decimated, these were miraculous things that took place. And you know what she did? She deduced, she deducted, she put two and two together. Okay, if, if there's a God that created this entire universe and she saw these bozo gods that they had, they can't even stand up. They've got to hold them up with chains. They'll fall over on their face. There's nothing there. And so she heard about these great things and she said, okay, 
there's someone who is much more powerful and greater than man. And when she heard the story, she said, that's got to be the one. That's got to be the God that created the universe. It's the same one that's doing these super, supernatural things for his people. And now these people who have decimated everyone they've come into contact with are right across the river. They're coming across. That's why she was so desperate to get these spies to understand that she was a believer and that she wanted their God to save her. So, Hebrew, uh, in Hebrew, that name, I already gave you what the name was, she became a, a, a believer by taking advantage of the grace of God that's available to all, all mankind. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. You hear that? No one, over and over, Rahab the prostitute was a believer in Jesus Christ. And God is able to deliver. Those spies were sent out. They crossed the river. They went into this city. I don't know how many, you know, thousands of people. And they just happened to wind up in Rahab's place. And I'm sure it wasn't the only house of ill repute in that city. And yet they wind up there. Why? Because God's going to deliver his own. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 31, Jesus said to them, this is to, by the way, really, go there. I want you to see this. Uh, this is Matthew 21, 31. This has to do with the religious leaders who are very legalistic. They're very proud of themselves. They think they are something else. And this is what Jesus is saying to them. See, they didn't like Jesus because he, held, he hung out with sinners. And they didn't think they were sinners. Matthew 21, 31. Jesus said to them, that would be religious leaders, Truly I say to you that the tax gatherers and harlots will get into the kingdom of God before you. You think that stuck in their craw? For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax gatherers and the harlots did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you, when you get there at the top of your page, just for reference, you might write at the top, Heroes chapter. Wonderful chapter. It's all about faith. What made these people great? Their faith. And I'm submitting to you that in all this, in this whole chapter, there's, it appears to be one woman that is mentioned. Now, if you go to verse 11, if you're reading a New American Standard Version, it says, By faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now that sounds like that was the faith of, of Sarah, so she would be included. However, if you're reading a new international version, it reads this way. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Quite different, isn't it? In that case, it's Abraham who has the faith and not Sarah. I don't want to split hairs here or not give Sarah her due, but it's questionable at least whether Sarah is included in this. However, out of all these people who are mentioned, it's not, it is not in any way questionable about Rahab being mentioned here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Look at verse 
31. By faith, Rahab, what? The harlot. The Bible doesn't have to say that. Why is it always, you know, so often Rahab? How would you like to have that, that stigma stick with you? Say, so, I would love my name to be in the Bible. Oh, yeah? I'm not so sure whether I would want my name to be there if it said everything about me. But it says, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish. Isn't that something? A woman in the middle of a pagan city that God was going to destroy. Women in the Middle East are not esteemed near as highly as they are here. She didn't have a husband. She was a prostitute. Who cared about her? God did. And if He can deliver Rahab, you think He can deliver you? Now I want you to, 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 to think about this. And this is, this is, I'm getting to the part that I like best right now. This is the meat of what we're going over today. There's a lot to say about Rahab. She's mentioned in James chapter 2 also, right along beside Abraham. That's right, Abraham. Everybody's heard of Abraham. Abraham is famous. And right along parallel with him, Rahab is mentioned. We don't have time to go there today, but I want you to know this. Rahab was different than the other people there because she fought for herself. She, you know, people think, well, there's peer pressure in, in high school, but once you get out of peer pressure, then it's gone. That's a lie. You always have pressure of some sort thinking about what do people think about you. Her family, her friends, the authorities over her, her, her religious realm, everything. She went against when she let those spies in. She just didn't accept what everybody else thought and do it, does it without question. Everyone she knew had a total anti-Christian, anti-biblical worldview, but this woman opened her door to aliens who had the true God. She defied her culture and tossed it overboard and let the spies in. She deliberately went against all of the authorities of her day, including the king of Jericho and his police. This act puts everyone in her world against her. She went against the pagan god that she was taught to worship in her early education and against everything she was taught at home. Everything was turned upside down by that act. And it went against the whole pagan culture she had grown up in. Are you an independent thinker? Are you a truth seeker? Does that make any difference? Did it make any difference in Rahab's case? Thousands of people. She was the only one. Think what it took for her to go against everything that she knew and everybody was on the same page. And yet she was streaming upstream in order to be true to her faith. She saw the truth. She recognized it. She embraced it. And God delivered her not only from physically from this takeover that, was, that he was about to, to uh, put on Jericho, but he delivered her for all eternity. Do you know that someday we might be able to go up to Rachel? Rachel! I mean, Rahab, excuse me. <laughs> Rahab. <laughs> Rachel was another great woman. Uh, Rahab, tell me, a, I, I just want to sit here and tell me about what was going through your mind when those spies came to your house. You know, today, the society we live in, uh, some people, you may have heard the term before, sheeple. 
People don't think for themselves. They don't even try to connect the dots. I'll give you an example. There are a lot of people who think that homosexuality is okay because they're born that way. You ever heard that? Okay. And a lot of Christians are signing on to this. They're taking that and saying because it's not their fault, they were born that way, that we should ordain them, we should have them in the pulpit and all this type of thing. And there were people, oh yeah, well, and once everybody starts going that way, they're not thinking for themselves and they go ahead and embrace it also. What they don't think about is, okay, what happened to homosexuals in the Old Testament when they were caught by Israel? They were executed, weren't they? Upon God's command. Now, if God commanded these homosexuals to be executed, and it's not their fault, essentially, He made them that way, could God be righteous and just? But they don't think for themselves. You know, we get sound bites. We get little blips here and there. And the, the media can control the masses just with a little blurb here. What does this candidate look like? And people don't think. They never can go so far as to look at a voting record. It doesn't matter. They're going to go along with the crowd. That can be deadly. Rahab didn't do it. Independent thinker. I hope you're an independent thinker. Because God is going to hold you responsible for what you're thinking. We can identify with Rahab, can't we? Jericho was a place that was in degeneracy. We're living in a land that is apostatizing and getting more and more evil every day. If things don't change, we too may be in a place where Rahab was. Boy, I've got so much to tell you. Wait till we get to the lying part. What would you do if you were hiding someone that you knew God was wanting to deliver? What would you do if you were in Nazi Germany and you were hiding Jews? And in the middle of the night... What would you do? It's awfully quiet in here. I think there's a lot of thinking going on. <laughs> I know what some of you are thinking, but I can't say it. Anyway, there is a proper way to handle those type of situations. And we have to deal with this lying business. Was Rahab justified in lying under that pressure? Tune in next week. <laughs> Rahab was a great woman. Absolutely phenomenal. Does it matter what you believe? No gospel, no scriptures. A woman that was positive at God consciousness and heard stories about a phenomenal God connected the dots and believed in the gospel that was revealed to her at that time. The truth of God's Word is alive and powerful. Whether you read it off the pages of your Bible, whether you see it in the stars, or whether, you, whether it comes from the mouth of some man in a whorehouse, it is still alive and powerful and it penetrates. Every one of us need to recognize how important it is to embrace that truth. There are people, people that I know, that are in bondage and are not accepting truth because they are afraid of being rejected by their families, being rejected by their friends. They need to learn a lesson from Rahab, don't they? I'd like everyone please to bow your heads at this time. The closing moments of this service is for anyone who is not sure where they're going after they leave this veil of tears. I've got the best news that anyone ever hears, and that's that you don't have to carry guilt. You don't have to deal with your sin problem. Jesus Christ already has. He went to the cross, died for your sins, was buried and rose again, and now He offers eternal life to anyone 
who will trust Him and Him alone for eternal salvation. It's pretty easy for some in a comfortable, protected environment in a church in this country, but for those in the Mideast, those in China, those that are captured in the cults, Catholicism, all these other things, they risk everything by embracing the truth. But Rahab's story is, you'll never regret it. God will deliver you. Now, Father, thank you for this time that we have to feast upon your mighty word. Help us to meditate upon these things and don't let the details of life squeeze them out of our, out of our mind. For this is what life is about. We pray that you will help us be bold and not veer from the left or the right and tell others what a great God we have. And we pray it in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.